Hello, folks, and welcome back. I'm so glad that you uh, joined us today. This is the On Being Christian Podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are, as I record this, exactly one week away from Christmas, and we have some family in town. And so we're looking forward to being able to spend some time with family, catch up, and um, have some fellowship. I do sincerely hope that you can do the same this Christmas season, spending time with family and friends, and um, kind of taking a step back from the regular speed of things. I think it's very beneficial. I'd like to talk to you today about the actual story of Christmas. Now, I know in our families, there are sometimes little traditions that we do, and one of those ones in which I've heard of is the reading of the story of Christmas, most often read from the Gospel of Luke, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And we're going to indeed do that, if you'd bear with me here, but I'd like to look at it from a little bit of a broader perspective than just one gospel, and I'd like to look at it from a little bit broader perspective of time, not just the birth, but that which led up to it, and a few things that take place after the birth of Jesus Christ. And in that way, we'll talk about the entire context of what is the story of Christmas. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 1 this morning. And long before Jesus was born, all the way back into the Old Testament, there was a lot of prophecies about how he would be born and what signs were to be looked for that would indeed prove this is somebody very different. But for time's sake, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and this is um, the, the confrontation, if you will, of Mary by the angel Gabriel when he tells her what's going to happen. It starts in verse 26. <clears throat> the Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, excuse me, Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when thou, excuse me, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be a great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered, excuse me, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now this is, like I said, Gabriel telling Mary what's coming. 
Mary, no less than five, four or five times in this section of Scripture, is very clearly recorded as being a virgin. He uses the word twice. She says that she knows not a man. And, and so we have, we have a lot that the Bible's saying about the situation that's coming. The part I want you to understand is, is that this is sort of the story of Jesus Christ's birth, um, very much from the perspective of Mary. And so this is the, the angel confronting her, saying this is coming. And then we do see the birth of Jesus Christ also recorded in Luke. We'll just go over to chapter 2, and it's the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now that's very common. That's seven sections of Luke, or that's seven verses of Luke chapter 12. Very common. That's usually what's read. That's usually the the parts that make it into our Christmas songs and things like that. But what I want you to understand is that this is something that Gabriel, a messenger from God, told Mary would happen, and then it happened. And there's a couple references that we find in these two sections of Scripture that we just read that point back to who uh, Joseph was. In fact, we find the lineage of Joseph is why the they went to Bethlehem in the first place, to be taxed. And so if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1 record the lineage of Jesus Christ. talks about how many generations separated um, from Adam all the way down to Jesus Christ. And so we have the birth of Jesus Christ here. What's next recorded is some of the visitors that started to come. And it's not necessarily what you might think according to our Christmas songs. There were no three kings, to say the least. There were some shepherds, though, And that's recorded in Luke chapter 2. It starts in verse 8. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Yeah, I would be too. You're just out in the middle of the field with your sheep, and all of a sudden heaven splits open with light. (laughs) Verse 10 And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So you have these shepherds who are confronted by the angel. They come to worship the newborn son of God, the newborn king. And then they go and tell everybody what they saw. And the interesting part is that the Bible records everything that they were saying sort of sitting heavy on Mary. Verse 19 says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So here you have the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Gabriel told Mary that it would happen. And then in the lineage of Joseph was King David. And uh, Mary's a virgin, but she is espoused. In other words, she will be the wife of Joseph. So they're going up to Bethlehem to be taxed because that's where... Um, At the time, you were taxed according to your lineage, and that's where Joseph had to go. She's very pregnant at the time, and there's no room for her in any of the places because of all the people coming in to be taxed. And for that reason, she ends up giving birth to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a manger. And the first visitors were shepherds, and they went and told everybody what they had seen. Now, there's some things I'd like you to focus on just as we get started here. Um, like I said, you'll see the genealogy of of Jesus Christ starting in Matthew chapter 1. It's the first 17 verses. If you look down to verse 17, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to, to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And so you have... From Abraham to David, 14 generations, and from David to the end of the Israeli kingdom, you have 14 generations, and then from that to Christ, you have 14 generations, and Christ is in that lineage of David, also in the lineage of Abraham, but not really according to the blood of man, because he doesn't have a man's blood in him, because his mother is a virgin. And she's bringing the child of God into the world. And we see that where it says in, in, in Luke that his name will be Emmanuel. It says the same thing in Matthew. In fact, let's read that. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, but more from the perspective of Joseph than of Mary, as is recorded in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. 
But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now there's a lot here, but one of the first things I want you to notice is that not only was Mary a virgin at the point of the of, of conception, in other words, she was a virgin when Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit was uh, conceived in her, but she was also a virgin at his birth. She was never, uh, she knew no man until afterwards. Now, the Bible does record the fact that Jesus does have half-brothers and half-sisters, which were the children of Mary and Joseph, but Jesus himself is the child of God, born of a virgin, a virgin at conception, and a virgin at birth. One of the other things I want you to notice here is I think sometimes Joseph gets kind of glassed over, if you will, in the story, but the Bible refers to him as a just man. Now, there's no real way for Joseph, humanly speaking, to come out of this looking very well. He's espoused to a wife. A wife is espoused to him, and she shows up one day pregnant. There's only two options, humanly speaking, here. She's been unfaithful to him, or he's been doing things he shouldn't before they got married. And that's going to be the human perception. But yet, even amongst all of that, the Bible says he was a just man. He did not want to save face by making her a public example. He meant to do it privately. He said, well, obviously I can't marry her now. I'm going to put her away but I'm going to do it in a way that retains her integrity. And the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, no, you're not going to do that because this isn't what you think it is. And because Joseph was a just man and because Joseph didn't care what people thought, he did what the Lord told him to do. He did what was right and loved her. Even though maybe he didn't understand it, he chose to love her. And so that's the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, sort of from Joseph's perspective. Now, if we go back a little bit and we just take a look at some Old Testament prophecy about this thing, it's been said before that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I'm saying that to you specifically because in order for a person to dismiss Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, you would have to dismiss most of the Old Testament, because most of the Old Testament points toward Jesus Christ. The prophecy that Matthew chapter 1 is making reference to is found in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
And then it explains the sign. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we found out from Matthew chapter 1 that Emmanuel, interpreted, is God with us. So God on earth in human form, Jesus Christ is 100% man and 100% God. And that's the prophecy that Matthew was talking about. So here we have the birth of Jesus Christ, the bringing forth of God in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The first visitors that he had were the shepherds, and they were in Bethlehem specifically because of the lineage of Joseph, which put them there to be taxed. That's why um, the entire city of Bethlehem was full, because everybody was there for, for political purposes, and, uh, and thus Jesus was born in a manger. Now what's interesting, switching back sort of to the perspective of Mary, we found in Luke that it said that she kept all these things in her heart, that she pondered these things in her heart. What I want you to understand is that Mary, by all indication, knew what the Bible said. And the Bible prophetically talked about Jesus Christ in a way in which it would be very hard for a mother to accept. Specifically, I want to show you this in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about what kind of life Jesus Christ would live. I'm just going to read this to you. This is talking about Jesus Christ, but it's talking about him prophetically. The Bible says in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 53, "...who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when he shall see him, or excuse me, when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." Now, that's just the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 53. Can you imagine knowing this scripture? Now, the, the, the prophecies, the, the law and the testaments, were not at this point in history or at the point of when Jesus Christ was born, separated into chapters and verses and things like that. But Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, existed. In fact, Jesus Christ quoted from the book of Isaiah almost more than any other book. And so you'd have to understand that Mary knew what Isaiah said, and if this was all true, and she was a virgin at the birth, and he was the only begotten Son of God, the Savior, then she was in for some incredible heartache, because her son would be a man of sorrow. A man that the Bible says God would put the iniquity of us all on. She had to have a heavy heart. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. This is the part that always really strikes me. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. The very last verse of Isaiah chapter 53 says, Therefore will I deliver him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was a num- and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgression. Now imagine being Mary, knowing what the Bible says about who Jesus Christ would be. And here you have the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, come down and tell you, you're going to be the mother of God. And then that same angel comes and tells your spoused groom that he's not to put you away, but that he's to treat you with kindness and to take you because the thing that grows within you, the child that you're going to give birth to, is not of man, but of God himself. The shepherds come down and worship this Savior, And they go and they spread the news throughout the whole world. The Savior is here. He's born. And all the while, Mary's thinking, whoa, wait a minute. If this is true, then this child is going to go through unbelievable pain. He'll be a man of sorrows. We'll despise him and we'll reject him. The Bible says he'll be acquainted with grief. Can you imagine a mother overjoyed with the birth of her child, and at the same time managing these feelings of knowing what the Bible says about who her child would be. The next thing that we find within the lineage or the the timeline of the life of Christ is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. This is the naming and presentation of Christ. The Bible says, And when the eight days were accomplished... For the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And that takes us all the way back to Luke chapter 1, where Gabriel told Mary, you will name him Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. The next thing in the timeline of Jesus Christ is his interaction, as it were, even though he was a baby, his interaction with a man named Simon. That's found in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35, and this is going to tell us quite a lot about who Jesus Christ is. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, and the same was, excuse me, the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost, revealed unto Simon, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, all a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also." that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wow. So you have this man who was told by the Holy Spirit, you won't die until you see Christ. He sees him, he lifts him up, and he glorifies God, and he says, now I can die. And he tells Mary, this child's life will be like a sword through your very soul. Can you imagine being a mother? Here's your, your brand new baby. You're, you're kind of confused, probably, about the whole, you know, logistical way that this happened. And there's a lot of people looking in from the outside who have opinions. And then the angel of the Lord comes and tells your espoused husband to, uh, no, take care of her because she's going to need it. And then this man comes, and instead of having all the opinions of the naysayers, he's on the other side of this. He says, no, I know who you are, and I, more importantly, I know who your child is. Your child's the Savior of the world. The Lord's Christ and his life lived as a man of sorrows will result in it feeling like a sword through your very soul, Mary. Wow. Wow. One of the things I want you to notice about how Simon interacted with Jesus, there's this thought that salvation wasn't possible until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's not true. What you see here with respect to how Simon dealt with Christ is that salvation from the very beginning has always been about Jesus Christ. Whether I put my faith and trust in what the prophets said concerning who would come to take away the sin of the world, or whether I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ in what the New Testament says about what Jesus Christ did to take away the sin of the world, both whether I'm looking forward to the life of Jesus Christ or whether I'm looking backward at the life of Jesus Christ in, in relevance of time— it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's never been about anything else. Salvation has never been about anything other than the life of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it pleased God to do it exactly that way. So you have this interaction of Simon with Jesus Christ. It's followed almost immediately by another interaction, this time with a woman. If you look at Luke chapter 2, it starts in verse 36, and it goes down through verse 40. The Bible says, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. 
So she was a virgin when she got married. She lived with a man for seven years after she got married. And the Bible says in verse 37, and she was a widow of about four score and four years. Okay, so a score is 20. So four score is 80. Four score and four is 84. But she was married seven years before that. So 91 years after she got married, and depending on how old she was when she got married, you're very much dealing with a woman well past 100 years old. She, well into past her centurion years. <laughs> and she, the Bible says she lives in the temple. Verse 37, she departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she, this 100-plus-year-old woman, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she's saying the same thing that Simon was saying. This is the one who's going to redeem us all. This is the one who redemption is in. Verse 39, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city. Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So now, there's not a lot about the childhood of Jesus Christ, but we're just looking at the timeline from the time that Gabriel told Mary that she was going to be the mother of God, she was going to give birth to a child. It goes on to the fact that she did, in fact, give birth to Jesus Christ. Joseph was told by an angel not to put her away, but to take care of her. And then you have the shepherds come and proclaim the glory of God because of the birth of Jesus Christ. All of these things are sitting heavy on Mary's heart because she knows what the Old Testament says about who Jesus Christ would be. And she's starting to wonder what this is all about. Simon comes and says, this is who it is all about. Salvation has always been about Jesus Christ. And Anna says the exact same thing. And this is all just within these first few days, this first week of the life of Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Now we get to where what the Bible says is the wise men. We have songs about these men. I don't believe they're very accurate, but the Bible does talk about some men coming to see him, but it's long after he's he, he's he's not in the manger anymore. He's, he's well into his uh, toddler years, if you'd say that. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2. This is what's referred to as the Magi's visit, but let's look at what the Bible calls them. Now when, J, excuse me, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, we read about that, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So they were quite a long ways off when Jesus was born. They weren't close enough to be there when he was a baby in the manger. And this is what those wise men were saying, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And so they know very much what's going on. Verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For art, uh, excuse me, for out of thee 
shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now, this all was very troubling to Herod. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And then they had opened their treasures. They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and mirth. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So you see very clearly that by this point, they're in a house. They're not in the manger. And as you read the rest of this story, you'll notice that it's probably very much a reality that at this point, Jesus Christ could be as old or closing in on two years old. Let me show you why I say that. Verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So Joseph is told to flee into Egypt with Mary and the child, because Herod's very much uh, threatened by this born king. Verse 14 says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And this is the flight into Egypt, and you see the whole situation change. But look what happens, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, because remember the wise men were supposed to bring Herod back word about where Jesus Christ was. They left a different way. Verse 16, Herod was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So he said, when did this star appear? And the wise men said, well, we've been following this star about two years or so. And he said, well, he's killing Anyone that was born, any child, any male child that was born within the time frame that the wise men said they saw the star. So very likely you didn't have the wise men come and visit Jesus Christ until he was almost two years old. Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, that's Jeremiah, saying in Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. So you have a mass infant side taking place here by Herod, who's seeking to kill the man who is reported to be a born king. And so Jesus, with Joseph and Mary flee into Egypt. Folks, there's so much prophecy that's being brought to pass concerning um, what the prophets said would be the life of Jesus Christ. 
He's two years old, and they're already trying to kill him. Two years old. He flees into Egypt away from persecution. In Matthew chapter 2, 19 through 22, you, you see the return of uh, Joseph and Mary into Nazareth, coming back out of the land of Egypt after the death of Herod. And then the very last thing that we really see about the life of Jesus Christ concerning when he's a child is recorded in Luke chapter 2, 41 through 52. Luke 2, 41 through 52, this is the story of when they went back. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers." And uh, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. That's the very old school way of saying, Son, you worried me sick. Verse 49, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. But notice this, verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And the next recorded uh, events about the life of Jesus Christ are those leading up to his baptism by John the Baptist in the wilderness and then his subsequent temptation by the devil in, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the entire recorded life of Jesus Christ's youth, his birth, right around the time he's two years old, and then another time in which he's 12. The part I want you to notice here, folks, is that this was a long prophesied event, from Isaiah prophesying about him being a man of sorrows, to Gabriel telling Mary that it was coming, to Joseph being told by an angel not to put his wife away, but to protect her and to take care of her because the child wasn't that of a man, but that of God. To the birth of Jesus Christ, and then the visit of him in the manger by the shepherds, and then the proclamation of this being the salvation of God by Simon, and then the glorying in his birth, the glorying in God um, of his birth by Anna, and then Herod tries to kill him, uh, and then... The, uh, the, the, the wise men from the east proclaim him as king. He flees into the land of Egypt, comes back 12 years later, 10 years later from the time he was two. He's back in Jerusalem asking questions of the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. All that, and it always ends with that statement. Mary held all these things, pondered these things in her heart. She knew what the Bible said about him. She knew that she was getting ready to be the mother of a man that the world would hate. A man that would be despised and rejected. A man that would carry the price of sin 
upon his own shoulders. This man, this man of sorrow, this man of grief, is Jesus Christ. And he was born to take away the sin of the world. It was prophesied, it came to pass, and it's as real as you and I are sucking oxygen out of the sky right now. Folks, he is the Savior of the world. He loves you. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's what Christmas is all about. The remembering of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Presents are good. Celebrations are good. The work Christmas parties, folks, they're all good. They're all good. But that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's about the man who lived a life rejected by this world. A man who people started trying to kill him when he was two years old. And then finally succeeded. 29 years later when he was... Or 31 years later when he was 33 years old. Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas. It's a much broader story than I think what we have allowed ourselves to remember. There's a lot more players involved. There's a lot more people. There's a lot more prophecy involved in the story and the life and the birth and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as you go through this Christmas season, spend some time with family. That's appropriate. Spend some time with friends. That's appropriate. Give gifts. Receive gifts. Enjoy time off. Folks, that's all appropriate. But also, if I can implore you, spend some time with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you claim salvation, if you profess to be a a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, spend some time with him. You say, how do I do that? Well, find your Bible. Find a quiet place. Open it up. And be still. The Bible says in Psalms, Be still and know that I am the Lord. Psalms or Proverbs, I can't remember right off the top of my head, forgive me. But it says, be still and know. Christmas has become about being active, being busy. we got to go to a thousand places and do a thousand things and check off all of our scheduled functions. Don't, don't forget, folks, to find a place by yourself with the Bible and with the Lord and be still and know. You say, well, I don't know if I don't, I'm not sure I have that type of relationship with him. Well, that's a fair, that's a fair question. That's a fair concern. If you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me through the church website, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. Or give me a call at the number listed on our website. I'd love to talk to you. If you're not near me, I'd love to talk to you anyway. If you are near me, I'd love to meet you. And so let's close out for now. This is the story of Christmas, a much broader story than what I believe you and I have been led to believe that it is. And so if we can remember these things and do what Mary did, the Bible said she pondered these things in her heart. I don't know that that would be all too much of an inappropriate thing to do is just simply to ponder this man, Jesus Christ. What type of life did he live? Who did he live it for? Who did he love? What did that love drive him to do? And what do we still have today as a result 
of his great love. As I said, folks, I don't take it lightly, your uh, willingness to listen for just a little bit. I thank you for it very much. I hope that this has been helpful. I hope that it's been encouraging. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you, and we will um, be done for the day, and I will talk to you in the new year. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you've done for all of us. Please help us to walk worthy of the testimony of the Savior to walk worthy, Father, to have lives that point towards the cause of Christ more than anything else. Please show us and give us the courage to embrace those times in our life of quiet solitude with just simply the Word of God in our laps and you. And Father, talk to us. Tell us what we need. Tell us where we are and encourage us. If And, and if we need more than that, maybe perhaps we need Um, a relationship with you. Father, convict us of that and draw us to places, cross our paths with people who can point toward the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Talk to you soon.